0: ronsko d c u members of the diplomatic corps uh, and of course uh, i very much uh, agree with you president as well uh, uh, recognizing the presence of the her um, Excellency the ambassador of ukraine uh, i do uh, want to say and what we have to say in relation to climate change and consequences of its devastation, standing as immediate background to it is the devastation and the destruction of lives and homes and communities uh, by actions that are entirely illegal, a breach of every principle of international law, and which are, are of course a gesture of that dangerous tendency in history of imperialist tendency and the abuse of the most powerful uh, on the basis of the simple possession of capacity of destruction. Uh, I also uh, welcome the member, Professor Murphy, my Council of State, is here, and um, so many others. Akodje Ilya to very particularly, you have said it is a very great pleasure to, um, at any time, to be back in a university. And I say to you, President, in terms this. Wonderful innovations that you uh, that you have are very very much uh, to be admired. I should tell you, when I was last uh, uh, speaking about universities, I suggested that in the first year of the university experience there uh, should be modules. Uh, one particular course, at least, saying, why are we? What is the purpose? of the university experience and I'm very happy to say that it has been responded to by University College Cork uh, who have introduced module in that regard f- for all those who will be enrolling this year and uh, I most encourage this debate about the future of the universities it's a matter from which you could say I have had a, a special interest. I, uh, the reason I'm here I'm absolutely delighted to be here with you today as we formally launch Dublin City's University New Centre for Climate and Society. I do want to take the opportunity uh, to thank the President for his kind remarks and also for the invitation to address you uh, at at today's event. I'm aware we had scheduled this event before, but uh, due to COVID and other events, it had to be rescheduled from last November. The Centre's creation uh, follows the launch at the Masters in Climate Change Policy, media, and society in DCU uh, three years ago. And it has brought hugely, that became hugely popular. It was very successful. And building upon DCU's academic strengths, as well as the President has outlined, on governance and law, communications and media, business and education, uh, the new Centre for Climate and Society aims importantly to provide an all important humanities and social science perspective to the challenge of climate change I might have a word more to say about that is that I very much like uh, philosophy to be added into the mix uh, because what is called social science or the social studies um, very much needs uh, an injection if you like of uh, philosophical thinking Which, uh, and I have to say good news in relation to that and other universities, while Sabine and I have been promoting, with the assistance of the members of the Philosophy Department, the Young Philosopher of the Year project. And it fits very neatly and easily alongside the Young Scientist of the Year. Uh, <clears throat> the climate and diversity research that emanates from the physical sciences is of course uh, a bedrock. We are reminded of the importance of scientific discovery by our experience of Covid. But While the physical science of course a bedrock and is fundamental to our understanding of the nature causes and consequences of climate change and the importance of biodiversity loss, ultimately climate action requires us all uh, to play our part to mitigate it and adapt to uh, that which is already occurring. And this entails governments introducing policies across a, a range of areas, regulatory, fiscal, educational, and they're all necessary to help us all to make the informed transition to a low-carbon, sustainable future. I'm very struck by your reference to Seamus Haney's work, uh, and particularly his reference to Hope. Uh, I struggle uh, in relation to uh, taking that piece of Haney's now, uh, because, and I briefly leave it for another day, but it isn't that we're on the precipice, I think, of a great destruction in relation to uh, to the natural world. Uh, but when you think about it, as I opened my making reference to what is taking place, let us say, in Ukraine, also what is taking place in relation to the diminution of the influence of multilateral institutions and international law. And if you like the, the debate which is now over between if you like, the possibilities of rational, that moment of hope that we had in in, in thought, when we could really bang, move past what I've often called the Cartesian error, in relation of just thinking we could reduce our experience in the world of what is measurable. We're in a much worse state now, and therefore it is in that sense I struggle for hope. I have restrained myself from describing our position across so many failures of democracy, participation, law, dignity, respect for nature, as perhaps it isn't people now say we will be regarded as criminals in the future by future generations. I think we might begin to think about the consequences of a species failure. As I've said, a dimension to which I will might re- return again in another place. Uh, Getting back to my task, and that for which I've been asked to be here, <laughs> uh, I do say uh, that this, this centre is so important for because it is aiming to address the very demands of policy that, that I have mentioned, the importance of media, and again uh, in many cases in relation to great failure. Uh, is it a great success? That A multi billionaire would be now deciding uh, what is appropriate for people to exchange by way of discourse. Uh, I think it can hardly be described as anything other than a manifestation of an incredible and dangerous narcissism. Uh, uh, I think that's it. I think the centre will correctly be uh, dealing with issues of not just of the policy areas but also issues of how they are communicated. It's a very good word, President, of yours, how they're embedded, if you like, in uh, what is taken for granted world of people's minds. Politics as well, Where if we could at least have a transcendental moment uh, where such progress as we're making uh, is not dragged apart. Uh, uh, in, and reduced to, to narrow interests. Education and business and environmental literacy. Business is interesting uh, because, of course, I was in, in, uh, present in, uh, in Brazil in 1992 for the Great United Nations Conference when the Business Council of Sustainable Development came into being. The business sector are among them, rapidly, they're wonderful at seeing what is coming and therefore they decided that they would bring the Business Council for Sustainable Development into being because sustainable was the new word, and thus uh, it was chaired by the president of Nestle and the vice chair was the president of Fiat, and uh, they were given full status on the platform. And in the same time I was there, I interviewed the people from the Pacific Islands who were the most at risk. I interviewed them on the Greenpeace board. They weren't represented directly on the platform, uh, but the Business Council of Sustainable Development was given full representation by Morris Strong, the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations. Moving on, and I think therefore I think that There are a wide range of perspectives from different research areas, all of which are valuable. And the centre aims to bring a focus to environmental communications, to journalism, to what might be called the greening of the media generally, which is a very different development from the idea of a single person deciding to have a monopoly on an area of communications. I think green finance, marketing and corporate approaches and these are all very important, and I am sure that what will come from the centre are innovative justice because basically what I have to say in the main purpose of my remarks this morning is the urgency of the paradigm change that we need in relation to so many different areas. I do agree in what I read of Dr. is in his assertion, that we need climate and the environment to become the unspoken, understood, taken for granted context for social discourse in the way the jobs and the economy are now. I think that's a very good point. We must, in fact, take it into ourselves, the urgency of the situation where we are, but also, and this is where I recover the hope, also sustain and support the good initiatives uh, uh, that are taking place. I think the centre's pillars, the four pillars of research, education, engagement and journalism, are all areas that require attention if we are to succeed uh, in in relation to climate. There's something else about it as well, I must say, it's a function of that. I would say to the students who will be starting, and the younger people very much, what a great place to be putting your energy but taking Dr. Robin's point about it being the natural thing that we, we have built it into ourselves uh, this new awareness the experience of this, uh, this climate change. can you just think for example how easily people fly out on the, 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 the inflation figures which this is why in fact it must be become this, it must acquire the status within communication what is happening in relation to the environment but I think as well that it must be not only described in Asian as a response to what I have described as great urgency, but an opportunity for the deployment of energy. The return to a relationship with nature is an empowering one. It is at the root of the best forms of spiritual uh, uh, activity. I think uh, uh, as well there there is no doubt, say, I think, that S- citizen engagement, which is the, uh, and democratic participation, are core to the climate challenge. And I'm very happy that you have seen fit to include a third pillar. That third pillar in relation to the theme of engagement, the centre has an opportunity to build on and scale up current activities. I'm aware of some of them very close to here that I have visited, in which people are doing things in communities, giving practical effect to what I've been speaking about journalism I've spoken about, I think one of the good things when you think of the difference between uh, uh, what is good news that is happening in journalism is the importance of local radio. And I think the idea of having a news service and exchanging environmental news and using uh, local local media, local radio and others is very, very important in its wonderful capacity for making connection with the best of what is happening in communities. I am conscious as I move from that mention of, of the media, the problem uh, that I have, uh, I have to say uh, is that that is uh, this incredible uh, uh, disaster being imposed, let us say, on the people of Ukraine is in a way now. In getting coverage is distracting us. is also serving as well as something that is displacing what we are correct concern in relation um, to other things that are happening that are are that are violent as well. I was present with uh, the late Sally O'Neill Sanchez of Trucul in helping to make a documentary during the Somalian famine. And yet, I see at the same time as I'm looking at the horror that is happening, I'm looking at what is happening in relation to Somalia and what is happening in relation to the pastoralists and what is people dragging their dead animals uh, 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 across, the, across the, the, the depleted soil. Uh, also, as well as that, the inadequacy of the responses, all of those in relation to the development. I remember suggesting a long time ago, that instead of replacing where great tragedies like the loss of animals in the pastoral societies of Africa, is that we should be enabling the, the animals to be replaced, rather than simply offering money only and asking people to move to urban centers, which just simply didn't work. And this is one of the things that's amazing in the university system, the neglect of anthropology. Anthropology, that great tool of colonisation and of empire in the 19th century used by all of the great imperial powers and yet after freedom in so many of the countries in 1960, the failure to use anthropology as a tool for understanding differences in ethnicity, dealing with that immense crucifixion of a problem that was posed by departing empires drawing arbitrary lines across the face of Africa. And these are things that uh, can be changed. Uh, There can be a return uh, to to development studies and development theory being reconstituted in a way that is really the capacity to respond uh, to what uh, what I have been describing. I want to thank all those staff as well as who have been involved in the bringing of this centre into being. Staff and students, I think, they will be thanked in the future for what they are doing in reconstructing a road back to harmony uh, with nature. As I said, uh, I think as well, it, it is, it is, it is. I am afraid undeniable that in terms of issues of of generational justice, that future generations, uh, uh, if we fail, will describe our present times as really. I think it is once in terms of criminal damage. I think Ireland in 2019, we know, has become the second country in the world to declare a climate and biodiversity emergency, recognising the critical nature and scale of the challenge facing us all. And I think the 2020 programme from Government committed Ireland to becoming a climate-neutral economy by 2050. And this, of course, is enshrined in the legislation which I signed the Climate Action Act of 2021. But it must now be brought into being. Becoming climate neutral, which we, I think we might have underestimated the dramatic changes that are required in personal and collective behaviours, including how we work, how we heat our homes, how we travel, produce our food, consume goods and services and manage our waste. All of this is dealt with, I think, in the Climate Action Plan of 2021. But I think what is necessary is that all of the constituent parts of our society will have to take on the task with urgency of meeting these extraordinary challenges. I think as well the centre's purpose and the way that it has structured itself uh, will, I think, uh, uh, create a kind of uh, uh, what we might call environmentally literate citizens which is important and what's always astonishing in, in many many ways it's easier than it was before because i think the younger people are better informed by, by by science but we shouldn't neglect as well as that that there is a very old wisdom there when one looks at it at it, old and middle irish and you look at the sometimes point out for example that the the, the words for sexual activity in the Irish language are much wider than in the English language. But it is not unrelated to the fact that it was a language that was very, very, very interesting and respectful in nature itself. And that's why you have, in fact, across different aspects of our life and in different aspects of biodiversity, you have this wonderful, wonderful uh, legacy in the, in the Irish language. And often think about those languages that are dying on the continent of Africa. It is just simply a fact that they're simple multiplicity of languages. It's that when a language dies, a whole history of experience uh, and of humanity goes with it. Because the, dominate, the instinct to have a dominant language isn't, is just that, it is a, a, an act of domination. Again, more of that on another day i think that what is just so important uh, as well is that uh, this is in relation to the changes in education it's important that they merge between primary secondary uh, and third level but i mentioned older wisdom as well there are uh, at my age many cases and people it's easy for people to be younger than at this stage uh, they uh, they uh, There is, there are many people who struggled uh, to bring knowledge, to bring awareness of nature and its importance and who are there and who are very supportive. That is one of the great, great benefits of Ireland coming through COVID and elsewhere was that we had, didn't have false intergenerational divisions. The idea therefore in relation to climate and responding to it, it will require people of all ages. It is, of course, a global issue, a national issue, and a a, a local issue. I I think, uh, as well, where there is that points, and I won't elaborate it, because I think most people in this room uh, are aware of it. If you take about the consequences of the Industrial Revolution, very, very often it's described as a set of, as uh, the spinning jenny and the whole way in which if you like between the period of 1760 to 1830 it took off as well there was nothing it was built it was there was a context that made it possible and there is a context that made it become admired as a form of modernization and it was not unrelated to trade and colonization and indeed empire as well but then I think what has been also was because of its presentation of modern uncritiqued modernism, was the the, the great errors of the modernization model, was that it was something that was released into the world as a source of progress and to the future, the myth of progress. In 1966, myself, when I went to the United States to study, a graduate in sociology, along with many Latin American people whom I met for the first time that time, we were being invited to study the backwardness of our society. People were talking about development, as like the images of a car uh, moving into gear, obstacles to growth, and obstacles to growth were everything that was neglected in anthropology, the way that people lived, ancient wisdoms, relationships to the environment or whatever removing the, op- there's a, the... There's a famous Princeton set of studies about six Gabriel Pye, uh, Verber Verba, all, Huntington, all of these and the rest of them, and they are all addressing this. And, and the great concession that's made as things went on is maybe it's a spectrum, that we're just at the bottom of a spectrum. But th- that is what gave us where we are now, and what was there, this is my, my question of you must amplify social science and social studies with philosophy. That's what gave us the inadequate theory. That gave us what was in fact actually a hidden ideological imposition of modernization theory that darkened most of the science, including law, including right across uh, right across the board. Uh, Norman Long is probably the best source of all of this in, 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 in the history of it. But have we the capacity, therefore, to question it? We haven't had, really, adequately, so forth. I think that what is continual, if we neglect, what, if we don't change, if we don't have the paradigm shift, we are going to see deepening stress in global communities, shortages in resources. I mentioned Somalia because I know it. Contributing to conflict, forced migration, exile. And the greatest impact of all that uncritically accepted anthropocene excess are the people who are now paying, the people who are least responsible are paying the highest price. Indigenous people, small island developing uh, states. And I think therefore the situation is likely to get very much worse uh, if we don't address, if we fail both in terms of those population flows that are driven by conflict shifts, renewed and old hatreds and so forth, and also the opportunity taken by those who want to take a totally different uh, uh, view of exclusion who will seek to invest diversity with fear and hate and exclusion and even dehumanisation. I think... uh, we were making great. Pro- we were making progress. It's a progress we have to, to recover: the United Nations 2030 Agenda and Sustainable Development Goals, the Paris Agreement, limited as it was, COP 26 in Glasgow last year. And I, I sometimes um, I, I say to myself that is something that has to be borne in mind. Uh, how all of that is in fact at risk if the discourse, let us say, in relation to the future of Europe becomes an entirely militaristic one. And that is a serious uh, danger. As somebody who has been speaking on these issues for half a century, I must say, um, the discourse is getting uh, one in which uh, how often, if you did a count in relation, have we? How frequently have we heard the word peace in recent times? Uh, how frequently have really we really critiqued the inadequacies? We use the word multilateralism, but what do we mean by it? And I think there is a evidence of a considerable institutional failure there, both in terms of institution and diplomatic practice. I want to move to being a bit more cheerful about it all now and say uh, I did have the great privilege and think writing the foreword to Father Kirby's book, his book on, on Pollyanna. And I'm an, I have been an admirer of Peter, Peter Drudy and people like that, and that a long time ago. I've been an admirer of Pollyanna's approach to, Carol Ponyanna's approach to economics for a very, very long time. I think, in it you will see. I, the other, I think, is, is Ian Goff's Heat, Greed and Human Need which shows us in many cases that it is possible by changing the scholarship that informs the policies that it will in turn change the outcomes to be able to deal with issues of hunger, issues of great and gross inequality and climate ecological responsibility taken together. And Ian Gough's work is seminal in that regard, in my view. And what is equally important are those who along with him are pointing out is just think of where we were before COVID. There was a significant argument of people who have now ran to the bushes, who more or less said that this role of the state must be kept minimal. That it must be that the market has the capacity to handle all of our problems, getting the state out of the way. And yet in every significant area, during it was the state that managed, that responded to the, to, the, to, the, to the COVID crisis. And in relation, as I look across the legislation of different countries, the state's leadership is crucial. This is not to say that everybody shouldn't be involved, but it is a direct contradiction of the market theory hegemonists who were just simply saying that the state was costly, that the state was too large, and so forth. It's a discourse that hasn't entirely died. Some of its extremists, as I said, have gone to the bushes, but they will emerge again, and it will emerge like this when they will be putting a cost on things that might be there if, in a, if we didn't, uh, if, if, if we were to, if we are engaged in a transformation. The state had its an undermining of its confidence, range and legitimacy, which I hope is now over, because that creates a better atmosphere for hoping for the next the transformation that we need. The state has the capacity to deliver universal services. I have on record to say again speaking to p- heads of state from other countries, in particular, in my visits to countries in Africa and Latin America in the past, it is a time for realising uh, That universal basic services, food, shelter, education, all of the things as it would be put by, uh, you know, what is called, to be able to participate in your society uh, without shame, as a distinguished Nobel economist has put it. All of these things are achievable. And universal basic services is not in contradiction of universal basic income. It is possible to give the assurance and safety of being able to belong in the world and at the same time be able to handle a difference uh, through floors of universal basic income. I have so long, and it's in my website, the amount of tribute I have paid to people like Mariana Mazzucato and all of these new scholars who are writing. The ideas are there. I'm thinking of Kate Robert as well, and uh, of Oxford University and others. They've produced ways to do things. But what is standing in the way, in many cases, as these intellectually seminal works are are appearing, someone announces that they are able uh, to buy Twitter And you you see, people must realise, if you want, in fact, actually, if you are actually morally serious about uh, your commitment to engagement, you must realise the contradiction. Realising the contradictions of one's life is as important as, in fact, being able to have the joy of engaging with the possibilities. That's why uh, places like universities should be exciting places, they're not information, pushing places and so forth. And there are places where, that will be tested by the way the people speak to each other, listen to each other with patience and so forth. All very, uh, very, very important. I do think as well that in many cases, which in relation to the, uh, we must, there is, as I said, I have spoken about the developed consciousness that is there in the area of advocacy in the ecological area. But the real challenge is mer- merging that consciousness with the consciousness of those who have struggled, perhaps and failed, in relation to the case for social justice and equality, are responding to uh, world hunger. Uh, what an appalling thought it is to say that if we don't respond and achieve what we have committed ourselves to, a hundred, an additional hundred million people will will will, will, uh, uh, will die. We either engage in terms of including all of the people on the planet, or we complete, uh, we, we, in, 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 we, we, we fall back into a kind of isolationism. I mentioned uh, what I had called the, the Cartesian fallacy. I do so uh, by saying uh, uh, the world cannot be measured, and the world cannot be reduced to what is measured without, without great consequences. But driving all of what we went through, including our period of austerity after the collapse of 2008, was an uncritiqued individualism, and that individualism sapped into people's lives. People spoke of the I, and they spoke. I think this when I think of uh, people like Sigmund Bauman, who would uh, mentioned about people being consumed in their consumption, and this. But interestingly, one must ask, uh, as, as I do in the, in the things, who was criticizing this? Uh, was the destructive emergence of what the Anthropocene has given us? Yes, there were brave people, but it's important now that the ecological responsibility lobby, the social justice lobby, and if you like, as well as that, the participation lobby in terms of dignity and the rights of everyone to participate, that they come together to achieve uh, this paradigm shift of which I speak. I think that uh, Father Kirby went much further, I know about it, because he was really talking about uh, degrowth and deglobalization. What I think I do agree with him in many ways is that what was described as globalisation was very much, uh, again, on, on, on this was very close to the original modernisation theory, which was in turn very close to the idea of myth of progress, which sustained, which was sustained by colonisation uh, and empire, and the assumption that some people were inferior to others. It's the most radical thing to accept and take your stand in relation uh, to equality. I think what is uh, uh, recently, I think Lucas Chancel writing on his book, uh, on Unsustainable Inequality, Social Justice and the Environment, current levels of income and wealth inequality are neither tolerable in a democracy, nor efficient from the economic point of view. They aggravate public health risks affecting the whole of society and they have potentially devastating consequences for the environment. Contrary to those who consciously or unconsciously insist on the supposedly ironclad laws of the market would have us believe an unending escalation of social injustices is not inevitable. Inequalities are a political choice supported or opposed by those who are free to express an opinion on them. I think, therefore, a Yes, welfare states will now, if we are to take the environment in danger seriously, we'll have to have new policy instruments, eco-social policies that underpin an economic paradigm that is being proposed as alternative. And that, those policies must simultaneously pursue both equity and social justice as well as sustainability and sufficiency goals within an activist, innovative state with substantial public investment in yes, greater <coughs> regulation, and yes, planning, serious, real planning in different aspects of our lives. I think as well, President Goff has said when I met him, we must, has it, the, we require tipping the balance of the economy from private to state investment, maybe in, uh, is, 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 I believe, necessary. I agree with him. I think uh, as well, in much the same way as the best welfare states in the world promote universalism as a core principle, the move to an eco-social paradigm requires a universalist mindset, as well as additional targeted measures. And then, in transition, this is where, if you like, uh, Paul Agnes and all of those other writers, and what they had in mind, is that they were able to look at the people around them with compassion, care, kindness and these were not regarded as irrelevant attributes and it is the same way there will be people in the transition who will have to have special arrangements made for them, it would be wrong if they were asked to suffer and that is why areas in relation to income and skill and capacity are very important to be built into, uh, in, 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 into models. There is a finished by there is a, a, a sociologist who, regard as one of the most important in in Europe. Uh, a, a young, uh, one of the students of Jurgen Habermas. and really talking about Hartmut Rosa of of uh, of Jena University. In his wonderful book uh, uh, Resonance, and he speaks about as if it were like you strike uh, the, the the strings of a violin. How we resonate with our world, and whether whether we resonate with pessimism or whether we resonate with joy. So to me, it's very important. When I discussed his book with with Rosa, I said I preferred, because I was more traditional in a way, to write of this challenge as a challenge of belonging. How people looking through their lives will look. They look, some of the great joys are impulses to belong. But an impulse to belong can also be destructive, because in a way it is a suggestion that if you haven't made it to the centre of the context of belonging, you have somehow or another failed. And it is there, in a way, then, when society is like that. This is how you do if you measure your society by a sense of well-being, not just regarding G and P as the single measure of everybody. You then move, you can see how this all fits together in relation to transformative economic policy, ecological responsibility, inclusion, and uh, and, uh, a sense of belonging. Professor Rosa wrote uh, in, in his book, from the act of breathing to the adoption of culturally distinct worldviews, all the great crises of modern society, ecological, democratic, psychological, can be understood and analysed in terms of resonance and our broken relationship eh, to the world around us. In one of my own poems a long ago, I wrote about my poem, I think, Too Close to the Ground. And it was about the word scenery. People in Galway and others were saying, there's great scenery. And I remember it as a child walking after cattle to the fair and six mile bridge and bringing, the most depressing thing was bringing them home unsold. And, you'll, and I said, our gaze was too close to the ground. And therefore there are people, this is the disaster of unequal society. There are people who are deprived of being able, others can speak, of the sun going up and it's coming down again, and of sunrise and sunlight and so forth. It's deprived from so many others, the fullness of life. And when I was discussing with Hartmut Rosa his book, uh, and and it was shortly after the death of of, of Sigmund Bauman, who had given the title to his book, Consuming Life. So I think Bauman said, with the advent of liquid modernity, the society of producers is transformed, into a society of consumers. In this new consumer society, individuals become simultaneously the promoters of commodities and the commodities they promote. They become absorbed and detached and consumed in the commodity. And that is what is wrong with single individuals, as it were, seeking to take over what should be the the mind of other people in relation to uh, communication. I think I believe that this catastrophe is of resonance as Harper Rosa called it to me which we have witnessed in modern times is sourced in a growing narcissism and aggressive individualism an emphasis on insatiable consumption and wealth accumulation. How much do they want? I would say, darling, Claire, they would say about the grazier who was gone past any kind of real farming. He wants to put his arms around everything. It's a good phrase. I think as well as that, I think, the, I think all of that, those tendencies are at odds with the best aspirations of social justice, solidarity and fairness principles. Good principles that have been adopted as the base of the Sustainable Development Goals and indeed the United Nations 20th Agenda. So we're challenged now to dare... Not just to dream, but to bring into being a world where, as Tim Jackson puts it in his book, Post-Growth, relationships and meaning that take precedence over profits and power. A world that sustains the planet and the human spirit. An uncharted terrain in which plenty isn't measured in dollars and fulfillment isn't driven by the relentless accumulation of material wealth. A more equitable and sustainable way of life is possible and culturally attainable. And we can change our course and escape the vicious circle of our current paradigm. It requires leadership, yes, but ultimately our participation and support, as has been the case in so many of the great emancipatory movements of our world. It is the people, citizens, communities and wider society that will lead to the change. And thus, the DCU Centre for Climate and Society has a fantastic opportunity to play a key role working across civil society, policymakers, local authorities, communities, educators, in fostering public engagement with this, the great existential issue of our era, climate change. And through the provision of research and advice that assists in crafting better policies, better communications, better literacy, more educational resources better strategies for tackling climate change your center has a unique opportunity to help with the great task of bringing people together building the real consensus we need it is a big responsibility to which i am sure you you will rise so it is with the greatest pleasure i wish the center for climate and society and its staff and students, and everyone who will support it, every success and blessing into the future. Mila